Hello, and welcome to Why We Do the Work. We're a couple of lifetime friends and working moms, and we're going to share our firsthand experience in a battle against childhood cancer. And I just want to give a trigger warning because of that. So we are going to be talking about some things that are pretty intense in this episode. So let's remind the folks who we're talking about and the reason why we do the work in the first place. Right. Both of our children experienced um, a diagnosis of cancer um, within, what, a year and a half of each other. Yeah. And both are currently survivors cancer free so um this is is a great outcome and we are really really happy to share that outcome yeah today we are going to focus on zion and simon that is what started my journey in doing this work and i have coaxed you into doing this podcast (laughs) i've coaxed you into doing this podcast with me so thanks best friend pending (laughs) thanks best friend so yeah like i said we're going to talk about zion and simon today and their diagnosis of hodgkin's lymphoma and how we think they felt because obviously we don't know exactly how they were feeling but as their mothers we know them and we can see we can see the difference in their eyes. You know, the difference in their eyes happened the moment, I think the moment that they realized and knew and found out that they really had cancer. Well, and I think that the diagnosis is a really important place to start, especially for anyone. I know for you and I, it, w- it was something that we said over and over and over and over. Can you believe our children have cancer? Can you believe that both of our kids have the same cancer? I mean, it it just sounds redundant to keep saying it, but it almost seems like we're like reminding ourselves of what we are going through, what we've survived now. I mean, it still brings awe to my mind that, that as best friends, our children would have not just cancer, but the same cancer and and essentially at the same time. So I wanted to tell you that I had all these different aspirations for this podcast last week when I was doing some research and I researched for hours Erin Brockovich only because I feel a connection to her even though I've never met her. She's a woman who didn't have any sort of law experience or medical experience or anything like that. She just noticed that there were some injustices going on in the community in Hinkley, California. So she started working for a law firm and eventually she realized what was going on out there and stood up for that community, even though it wasn't her community. I mean, West Eugene is our community, but even though it wasn't her community, she stood up and said, I'm going to do something about this. So I felt this connection to this woman who I'm never even met. And some of our friends called me Aaron Brockovich. So I feel like I was somebody that saw the injustices and stepped in and said, I'm going to do something about this. I went straight to talk to the manager, the ultimate manager. that was going to the DEQ to Department of Environmental Quality is what DEQ is. So I went to the ultimate uh, manager and got to get some results about what's going on in West Eugene. And I think that our work and the work that we've done with Beyond Toxics um, and the community all coming together, we're able to band and unite and do something about what's going on in West Eugene. 
Well, definitely, I see the likeness to Erin Brockovich, and I remember us watching her documentary. I mean, years ago, in the nineties, mm-hmm. and her story was compelling. I I don't remember as much detail about it, but I definitely see the likeness, and I see that your motivation. You know, it's not being stopped by anything. There isn't anything that has held you back. And I know that when Simon was diagnosed, that, that was a big part of what pushed you to really want to find answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really did because it was eye-opening. And it led me to learning about the chemicals and how they're carcinogens and how negatively they can impact your health, which I you know, we didn't know. We've talked about that in our last episode. We didn't know or really recognize the, the pollution in our neighborhood. So to be able to be someone who was a hairstylist for many years, got to open my own business and play beauty shop all day. And that's what I wanted to do. I actually got to walk and live in my dream. And you know, I was always cutting your hair and doing stuff to you. And I think I tried to perm your hair one time and it didn't come out. I think it was because I forgot to put a quote unquote ingredient because um, I wasn't licensed yet as a stylist. So I was just kind of messing around. You were really good though. You've always been really good at doing hair until your daughter lost her hair. And then that, um, I think that changed. And then you were without a passion for a little while. Yeah, I still don't have that passion. And, you know, Zion's been asking me to do her hair. And I don't know why I have been apprehensive but I think that I should do that because I think now she has this hair and she wants it to look fun and you know it's not as long as it was before because of the cancer treatments and it's just coming back so that kind of leads us into what happened so I get a call and I was told that Zion was In the hospital, like I said last week, I thought it was going to be her brother, Elisha, having had a concussion. And so she was in the hospital finding out what was going on. I wasn't there, obviously. She was with um, her dad and stepmom. And they gave me a call. And it seemed like, it seemed like days and days and days, excuse me, that initial finding out of how sick she was. So that night, I remember I was, I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep at all. And so that night, I was worried about her. And obviously, I called her the next day. And the dad and her dad and stepmom had taken her phone away, not not to punish, but because she was getting calls and text messages in to see how she was and what, what happened at the hospital. I So I called her stepmom's phone. And I said, how did she sleep last night? What did she sleep? And she said to me, I don't know if I've ever told you this. She said to me, she slept in our room with us. And I slept down with her on the floor because she was just so devastated and couldn't comprehend exactly what was happening to her. She's 13 years old. So yeah, that was to hear and know that she was feeling probably so alone at that moment, even though she was surrounded by people, she probably felt so alone at that moment when she found out and she was trying to sleep that night. And you weren't able to sleep. 
that's really hard. No, you did not tell me that, and that's um, it's going to take me just a minute to digest that. Um, yeah, it's okay. It's a tough subject what we're talking about, and this is the first time you've really had to talk about it out to somebody besides me. So I understand. I totally understand, and I, I can take the reins here when you need me to, so that you can kind of focus and and. Well, as your mom says, reconnoiter. <laughs> <laughs> I want to try. I want to try to continue the dialogue about it, though, because I think it's important, and I think that other people who are experiencing a diagnosis and maybe wondering what factors contributed to it and how and why their child is sick. I know that we were we were really desperate for answers, and we don't have all the answers yet, but we have at least a better idea of some of what may have contributed to their diagnosis because obviously um it's got to be pretty rare that two people that grow up living in the same area for most of our adult lives this being west eugene and then finding out that they have cancer the same cancer in the same spot on the body this is just i mean to me this is what i go back to this is what tells me that this isn't normal our oncologist told us and her answer was it was bad luck <laughs> Yeah, and I understand that some cancer is not necessarily environmentally related. However, in this case, I feel very strongly, and I know that there had to been an environmental factor that caused um, both of our kids to get cancer. And the time when Simon was diagnosed, it took a lot longer to get to that diagnosis than than Zion's. Simon's was not as advanced, but. Uh, the lump that he had on his neck was very prominent, obviously was, you know, we had to continue to rule things out by process of elimination. And finally, when he had his um, biopsy done, it was, there, there was no doubt that this was Hodgkin lymphoma. We knew that, you know, then we really found ourselves like, what? How is this possible? Right. Just like looking at each other like, huh, what? They they both have it. <laughs> I mean, it just it's it's hard to put that together. It's hard to understand how that could happen. And for Simon, you know, I think that because Zion had already been going through chemotherapy and there was already a treatment plan in place, although we didn't know the road that that would take, because our, we were already experiencing with Zion some of what it would be like for Simon. I remember him saying, well, if Zion can do it, I can do it. You know, he felt close to her and knowing that she had been going through the same thing. And now that he was, he was going to experience it as well. Um, something we'd never want to even think about our children having to go through his chemotherapy. It may be the hardest thing mm -hmm. that I've ever had to go through as yeah. an adult and, and to be not an onlooker. Uh, to be there, to be present, to be with him was very, very, very challenging. I mean, he being a teenager and one who was just finding his independence and just getting interested in things that he wasn't interested in previously, for him to go from that to needing mm. help, getting a bath or getting out of the tub or you know, those things, that was, that was rough. That was rough to see him go from being a strong student athlete and brother to his siblings and to being, you know, dependent again. Yeah. Well, it's like 
it's like prison for them, right? They're locked up in their minds and they have no choices. And somebody's telling them when to do this and when to do that and take this medication and take that medication. And they have no choices. And like you said, they were both just getting into the swing of being teenagers and thinking about their licenses and and just the normal things that kids do at that age. And I want to go back a little bit to what you were saying about about Simon and, and him thinking that if he if Zion can do it, then he can do it. I don't want to speak for Simon, but I feel like that made it not as scary. Mm-hmm. Did it make it not as scary? Uh, yes, yes, definitely. I mean, I it was um, it didn't make it any less scary for me. Yeah, <laughs> but I know that for him to have a peer to have Zion, who he's known all of his life, and who um, I don't think they're not they're more like cousins. They're not like best friends. They don't hang out or right. chat on the phone or anything, but obviously look forward to seeing each other and they know each other very well. I think that he took a lot of comfort in that and knowing that, that there was somebody close to him who mm-hmm. was going through the same thing. Yeah. It made me feel better for him. I, I can tell you that it made me feel better for you. So all in all, obviously it was hell on their bodies, but there is mental that goes along with that. And there's, there's outside things like friends and how they're going to handle their friends being quote unquote, the cancer kid. Um, I know that for Zion, it was hard for her to really open up to her friends and talk about the fact that she had cancer is she just wanted to be regular kid. And um, I know that she didn't lose any friends during that time. I know that being um, kind of being the cancer kid and having had a, a brother, you know, having had Elisha who was an athlete and the jock and, and all this and, and at school that gave her a little bit of clout, right? you know, because right. she had this older brother that was like in it. So she didn't necessarily lose any friends she gained friends in that actually so i i honestly don't think she ever really talked to any of her friends about it she's never really talked to me about it i mean one of the things that she said to me before after she was cancer free and we were sitting there in that radiologist uh, room i've told you this about about this before but i was sitting there and it, it was after her stem cell transplant and after you know we knew that she was going to have to go through uh, more chemo, you know, just to top it off is what they right, said, a little right. top off. We knew that that was going to happen, but she had gone through radiation as well. So we were in the radiologist's office and it was me and Jason couldn't be my husband, uh, everybody, my husband's name's Jason. Jason couldn't be there with me that day. Mm-hmm. And her dad and stepmom were there and we were all sitting in this little room and, you know, it was reminiscent of sitting in that little, sitting in a little room being told what was going to happen to your child, how you're going to move forward with medications. Mm -hmm. You know, it was reminiscent of that. And there was so much trauma, mental trauma that had happened for, for me at that point. You know, I was at that point, I felt like I was out on an island sort of by myself sitting in this room without having the support of my husband. And so, you know, Zion's sitting there on the table and her dad and stepmom are there and the radiologists are there and they're looking at her body, you know, how you can see the body in those scans. And right. so they were looking at her body and trying to see if they could see any cancer in there. And they didn't. 
And he was showing us, yeah, I don't see any cancer in there. See? And uh, I was sitting there and I'm shaking right now thinking about it. I was sitting there in the chair and I looked at him and I said, this is good news, right? Because we had mm. been given so much bad news right. about what was going on with Zion. And I said, this is good news, right? And he looked at me and he said, yeah. And uh, Zion was sitting there on the table and she said, mom, it's okay. You can cry now. And that was the best gift I could have ever been given. I'm going to let you go. And you were really, really strong throughout the whole, the entire process. And I think the fact that it was time for you to let down and let your, let your um, emotions show is, I think she was right that, you know, it was time and you held it in so well for the whole time. I know for myself, one of the most, I guess, strongest memories or um, impressions that I had was was after Simon's first chemo treatment. He came home, he was feeling okay, everything seemed all right, and they had given us all of the instructions. I had the I had the binder that had, you know, what to do if they have a fever and what to do if they have, the, you know, all of these things I had looked through and I was ready and I felt really well prepared and of course, I read the entire time inside that binder, you know, all the different things about, you know, what he can take for pain, aspirin or Tylenol, or, you know, not to take ibuprofen, all, all the things that I, you know, that I would need to know. And, and then, I, you know, we came home, his bed was made ready for him, and he laid down to rest. And about an hour later, I went in to check on him, and he was in a really deep sleep. But his eyes, the eyelids looked like the darkest shade of eyeshadow I've ever seen. And I just panicked. I just thought, oh, my God, what have I done? Because, you know, when we talk about chemo drugs, we're talking about the strongest medication that the body can handle because it has to kill cancer. But on, on the way, it kills a lot more. And it takes a lot more. It's why your hair falls out and why you feel sick afterwards. But seeing his eyes like that, I thought, oh, my gosh, I've made a huge mistake. Why did I ever agree to let them, you know, do chemo on my kid? You know, I knew that there were alternative methods, and I wasn't willing to even think about or explore that because I wanted the one thing that we knew could help him get better. I mean, there are a lot of things that people try that have worked for them, and that's great. And I admire people for trying any alternative medicines. However, it wasn't. A, there was no question in our mind. We wanted our child to be at the very best hospital with the best doctors and getting the care that was proven to cure cancer. But at that moment, I just I. I'll never forget seeing his eyes like that. And they looked like that almost every time after chemotherapy. Watching that process and, you know, I just sat there for a minute and started to cry sitting next to him. And he's sound asleep. And he kind of comes to a little bit and he says, Mom, are you okay? <laughs> just calm as can be. I said, I'm fine, son. But, you know, that, I think if, if you're going through that and you're alone, you know, you just need to know that your your child is the map. Your child has the strength and will give you the direction to know how to help them. That doesn't mean that it always works. 
Or that they're always nice. Oh, yeah, that they are not always nice. <laughs> Boy, they, they really put us through it. Yeah, that, you know, it. that's intense. What you're saying is intense. I remember you telling me that, and I, I completely understood, and I was happy that I understood. I was happy that I was there for you to feel that way and to explain to me how that made you feel on the inside. So it's, you know, it was really hard to navigate how much care <laughs> to give to those kids because it was, it was, it was hard because you want to put a bandaid on it or kiss the boo-boo and it goes away, but it doesn't. And you, I mean, it eventually does. And we're very lucky that we came out on the other side, but it doesn't stop. Like you can't make it go away. And so try to be able to navigate your child into something that is, I mean, not that there's not younger people that go through cancer, but it seems so grown up. I mean, that's what we're here to try to avoid, well, right? We're here to big. talk about. We're yeah. getting adult doses of, yeah. of medicine. So, I mean, they're even though they're children, they, they the size of the cancer in both kids was not small. It was uh, yeah, never yeah. minuscule. So, you know, it like I said, navig navigating their emotions and their feelings and being able to be there and meet them where they needed us to meet them was hard. It was hard. So we had to sort of let them do it. And they're trying to do it as a teenager. They're trying to do it as a teenager that's losing their hair or feels like they don't relate to their friends anymore. Right. And feels ugly and they feel like they're missing out. And then mm -hmm. if, I know Simon, I mean, he wasn't in school. So that was a big difference. If Zion was in school. Mm -hmm. Simon was not in school um, because of the pandemic and also because his grades had plummeted when he started chemo. We took him out of school. And he's almost all the way caught up now. He's doing a credit recovery program. And he's he's actually where he should be now. So Love it. He's bounced back. Yeah, well, yes and School-wise, no. yeah. yeah. Um, no, not school-wise. I mean, he, the thing is, Audrey, I don't see him bouncing back yet. I mean, I'm waiting for it. But his energy level, his motivation, his endurance has it, changed. I mean, he's he doesn't. He doesn't stick with stuff as long as he wants to get, I mean, he retreats to mm -hmm. his room and his comfort zone. And I don't know how much of that is physical or psychological, but I know that it's both. Yeah. Doesn't it piss you off? I mean, knowing that our kids were poisoned and that's why they have to go through these quote unquote grown up things, you know, trying to handle something as a teenager is hard enough. But when you're a teenager and you're losing your hair, and you're losing weight, and you see different sores or whatever coming up on your body because the chemo is trying to come out. Talking about sperm banking. Oh Kids God! That don't I didn't even. I didn't even get into that one yet. They might be mad at us if they ever listen to this podcast and hear us talk yeah. about this. But they're never going to listen to it. Or yeah, they're, they're probably not. They don't want to hear about it. No, I'm worried about Simon hearing it through the wall. He's hearing it right now, and no, you know it's not. fine. Hopefully he's not listening. It's fine if he hears us, but you know, trying to trying to just be a kid and have all these horrible things happening to you. Remember how beat up Zion looked after her oh, yeah. radiation? She had that burn on her neck. Yeah, she had radiation 8,000 million times. So trying to, trying to be just a teenager and having that happen and having it stolen away because of environmental pollution, have it stolen away 
because people aren't taking the time and the care to make sure that they're not impacting the communities that they're surrounding. It's, it pisses me off. I mean, I think you can hear in my voice, like I'm getting mad because it was uncalled for. And we're unknowingly ex- exposing our children to toxins that yep. are going to uh, heavily impact their lives later. But, you know, like what we were just saying, they didn't want to hear about it. The kids, no matter what their emotional state was, no matter what their pro- uh, stage was in their progress um, toward treatment, it didn't matter. They did not want to talk about having cancer. They didn't want to talk about why they had cancer. They still don't want to talk about it. And I don't blame them. I understand their kids and they don't want to think about it. They did not want to think about one of the things that they um, that they offer to boys is sperm banking. Okay. What 15-year-old is going to go sit in a little room in their doctor's office and do what needs to happen to get that sperm? Yeah, and provide them with a sample of their sperm to save it for later in case they can't have kids. What 15-year-old is thinking None. like that? No. Zion was like, no. Nah. No, there's not. And Zion too, right? Zion, yeah, Zion was like... She was flabbergasted, to be honest, that, they were, even, that they were even asking her that. And so, you know, of course, she didn't, she was like, no, I don't want to do that. She probably didn't even want to talk about it. No, so you know, she didn't, didn't, want, didn't to want to talk about her uterus or any kind of stuff like that. She's, she barely wants to think about it. So to be able to have, to for them to ask that question and to actually sit in the room and have them ask that question with you, with your child, oh, and God. see your child's face. You know, to see them, especially for the boy one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so Zion, you know, she 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 decided I don't want to do that. I'm I'm too young to think about that. That's making me feel weird. And yeah. you know, it was a tone of twenty thousand dollars that it was going to cost for Zion. And had yeah. she said, "Mom, Dad, or Dad's Mom's," <laughs> you know, because she's got four of us. Um, for her, if she had said. I really want to do that. I, I feel like I want to have that chance to be able to have children in the future. I want to do that. We would have came up with that $20,000. She didn't want, and I'm not, we're not rich. So this would have been a sacrifice. Yeah, that would have been huge. But the sacrifice would have been worth it because now, I mean, I know that she's not thinking about having a child right now, but I know that she's thinking about it more than she was. And it pisses me off. It makes me so angry that they've had to go through so much to be older and not have children, not to be able to have children. I'm hoping for miracle babies. Well, we don't, yeah, we don't know. Um, the chemotherapy is um, is a factor, but the radiation is really the main factor. Can prevent men from being fertile and, and women as well. So um, luckily for them, the concentration of radiation was up in the neck area, not in the... Uh, abdomen as much as I did have some but Simon would really I think push me away when you know on one hand he wanted me right there he wanted me to go to the appointments obviously he wanted me to be there he wanted me to be close and take care of everything but on the other hand he didn't want me to talk to him or comfort Mm -hmm. him or ask him are you doing okay and you know, sometimes as a mom, you say those things. You can't help it. You're just, hey, are you all right? You know, you care. You can't stop caring. Well, and, it's our job to nurture. And then they just put, I mean, there was a time where 
I have, I don't know why, I made Simon eat a banana before we left the house in the morning because he, he refused to eat. And I was worried because he was going to go in and I was worried that he was going to be sick to his stomach and he was not going to have had anything to eat. Well, as soon as he got into Dr. Schliss's office, before he was even hooked up for chemo or anything, he barfed. Mm. And I was like, I just remember I grabbed, or not grabbed, but I reached out and touched his back, like his shoulder, to like, oh, are you okay? And he shrugged me off like that. Yeah, shrugged away. Yeah, oh my gosh, I just wanted to cry. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, this isn't about you, Lori. This is not about you. Just stop it. <laughs> yeah. Pull it together. And I had to just suck it up. And I was yeah. like, this little asshole. You know, yeah. but at the same time, loving him and caring about him and not, want, and not wanting to see him go through what he was going through. And that it was my fault, of course. They made him eat the banana, so I had to just sit there and dwell on my. <laughs> Do you hate so bananas pretty. now? Do you always think about it when you eat a banana? I, it doesn't bother me, but it bothers him. So apparently, I have uh, now ruined bananas. Ruined bananas, <laughs> but that isn't all. I mean, it, a lot of the food that oh yeah, craved, you know, we and we would do anything to get all these the kids things. what they wanted. If they wanted something special, eat and and you know some of that is carried over now. All of it has i have a really difficult time um and zion if you're listening to this don't listen to this part um i have i have a really difficult time telling her no and that's really difficult and we'll get into this more when we're talking about siblings next week this might actually with the kids carry over a little bit because we're getting a you know we're getting to be on time but it's still really hard to tell them no and that makes it really hard for their siblings because you know now they're feeling better and now they're you know they're not they're not in the hospital all the time and they don't they're not being nauseous as much I means i still gets nauseous just from anything but it, it's it's carried on into not just the food now it's like mom can you buy me this or mom i really want that and i want to do everything i can to give it to her and we don't we're not millionaires you know, so it makes it nowhere really, <laughs> they're not anywhere near millionaires. So, you know, having them need so much in that way and not really wanting us too, I mean, they wanted us to be around, but not, not too much talking about the cancer. And it put this wedge, like, I don't want to say it made them strangers, but it, it changed them in a way that was foreign to us yeah. because we'd never seen that. Of course, we never had we never watched anybody go through chemotherapy or radiation or, I mean, I never did. Their bodies changed. Their faces changed. Now they're, now they are more similar to, I mean, obviously they're getting older, so they're, they're changing in that aspect anyway, but some of, well, some of the medications caused weight gain, caused um, mm -hmm. some distortion of the um the size of the body parts in the face inside are you talking about prednisone yeah prednisone yeah but simon went through the same thing yeah and it's tough to see your young person who was looking thin cute confident and exercising and feeling really empowered to have lost that you know mm -hmm. and and there there came a time during the chemo when you know their hair was not all the way gone <laughs> and you just you know there's wispy patchy it's so 
hard. It's it was soul sucking, you know. Did, and they and they did not want us to touch it. They didn't want us to shave it. They didn't want us to help it. But they're holding on to that little bit that's left. And I remember trying to tell you before we even knew Simon was going to get cancer. I was like, just tell Simon that it's going to look a lot better and she'll feel a lot better. And you're like, she doesn't want it. She no. doesn't want it. No. She didn't want it at all. She, she it was it was control. I feel like yeah. because she didn't have an opportunity to make any other choices. We didn't have to make her shave her head. She could do whatever she wanted with that, and she never did shave her head. She lost it all and went completely bald at one point, but she never did say, shave her head. So that, as her mommy, and being a hair stylist and knowing the damage that chemo can do to your hair, I finally had to tell her. I said, Zion. Finding these little balls of hair because she started to just pull it out, you know, and it just came out in chunks and she yeah. would just let it go around wherever in the house. And I finally, and I would just clean them up. And every single time I cleaned it up, I was like, this is just destroying my soul. Like my soul is being stabbed every single time I pick up one of these patches of hair. And I said, yeah. Zion, I was like, if you want to pull your hair out, that's fine. You go right ahead and pull your hair out. But please stop just leaving it around the house because. Yeah it's killing me every single time I see that and pissed me off at this point. I didn't know that it was pollution that had made her sick at this point. I was just pissed at the cancer period. So, um, well, and there, and you have, you have a kid that's already, I mean, we just talked about this. They're already not being able to take care of themselves in the same way. So they need a lot of extra from us. They're inappreciative because they're in the depths of hell and they're nauseous all the time, and they're grouchy, and their bodies changed, and they look different, and they lost their hair. And no, it was the same thing for me, though. I went in one day to rinse the tub out, and it looked like someone had shaved a dog or a cat in there because there was so much hair. I mean, it was just the in clumps of hair. And I was like, okay, we need to talk. So I, you know, I was like, what's going on? You know, are you doing okay? And I just wanted him to be like, Mom, let's shave my head. It looks yeah. like she they never did. They never did. And that that not shaving of the head. He finally did. He did. He finally did come around. After I know. We saw a little it. bit. I mean, he, it was his hair looked so bad. It looked so bad. And he had dyed it for Halloween right before he was diagnosed. And so it was a bright red that had faded out. And so there were these just different colors of like pink and red and just patches of his hair. And he came out and he was like, Mom, he was like, get the clippers. We're going to do this. And I had never done a clipper cut. Like, I trimmed their hair, but I had never done a clipper cut. I didn't even know how to use them or what. And I was like, I don't know how. He's like, we're going to figure it out because we're going to do something here. It was just, I mean, I I just wanted to walk out of the room and cry every single, you know, like, time when he and I just want to cry, you know. Oh. Because it was so powerful just watching him do it himself. and. It was, I mean, I felt proud of him, and even that made me, I was just, I was losing it. I was just losing it well, inside. Yeah, because inside. Yeah, we couldn't really let it go outside, but I remember you sharing that video with me, and we knew something was going on with the pollution. We knew, we didn't know exactly. I was pissed, you know? That's a lot of what's going on with me in this whole situation, is that I'm pissed. Um, so I was mad when I was seeing him shave his head. I was sad when I was seeing him shave his head. I was proud of him. I knew that that was hard, 
nobody wants to lose their hair, especially a teenager, because I never shaved her head. So when she was going through that stem cell transplant, when she had that and she had all those like things coming out of her neck because they had to put these, uh, what do you call them? There's, there's a name for it, but these tubes coming out of her neck to take out her stem cells. So there was a lot of surgical tape on there to make sure that those didn't come out. Because if it come out, she, you know, blood's oh, going to go everywhere. God. So they had to put this surgical tape on there. And, then, okay, you got to take these off, right? You got to take that tape off. Well, because she had never shaved her hair, she still had some hair on her head. And this uh, tape was getting caught in her hair. So it took probably, and this was probably one of the hardest moments for me with her and all the stuff that they did to her. Because she was just crying and crying and squeezing on my hand because she was, it was hurting her. And of course, at that point, excuse me, I didn't know still, um, but it, I didn't have any idea about the, the pollution or anything like that. But I was pissed at the cancer. I was pissed. So finally, they got it off of her. They had to bring several different people in and use all this stuff to get off of her. And all of those memories came flooding back when Simon got sick. And I was like, no, wait a damn minute. There is something going on here that is not normal. So finding out that it was the pollution out in West Eugene that had made our kids sick, it made me want to help other people. It made me want that feeling of emptiness and hopelessness and just this shallow, deep, but shallow ache. I don't want anyone to ever have that. I don't want anyone to ever have it for their spouse or their, you know, any sort of partner. I don't, I don't want that for them, but I, that hasn't been our experience. Our experience has been childhood cancer. So for me and for you as mothers, what we're wanting to do is make sure that nobody else has that feeling. So that's why it's so important with the work that we're doing. And I, I appreciate your support and I appreciate you doing this podcast with me because the more that we get it out there about our kids and about the pollution that made them sick, there's no other thing that made them sick. It was the pollution that made them sick. Getting that out there and educating folks on the impacts the negative impacts the perils that we were unaware of in our surroundings um you know the parks that they played in and the and you know for simon he was he was at a babysitter's house right across the street from jh baxter while i was at work 40 hours a week and that was for that was for two or three years of his um i mean he was what between two and five years old at that time in that I mean that when I saw how close the babysitter's house is to J.H. Baxter when I went there most recently and you and Lisa were doing an interview there it was just it was really remarkable to me and made me realize how much validity it does have and and yes I want to support the work that you're doing and I wasn't able to be involved with with your research and you know what you've done thus far but this is the i'm taking baby steps right now and this is being really the first time really the first time i've talked about it and i'm almost 
probably not going to be able to talk about it that much more today because yeah. I'm starting to get. It's okay. Little, it's okay. We've, we've gone pretty deep and I think that we need to touch on this just a little bit more next week when we're talking about siblings. Siblings, unfortunately, don't get the, the bright end of the stick when this is going on with their other siblings and that's hard. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more next week. I, I think it's real important to talk about the kiddos siblings um for sure i think i'd like to end here on a nice note so it's another thing that zion said to me it wasn't that long ago that she looked at me and she said mom yeah i was going through it but i didn't have to watch you i didn't you had to watch me go through it you guys had to watch me go through it and she said that must have been so hard and for this child to say to me something so sweet like that, to say, Mom, yeah, it was hell. I was going through it. But you had to watch me. You had to watch your baby go through that. And for her to have that compassion. Empathy. And have, yeah, after having such, quote unquote, grown up stuff going on with them, I was really proud of her. That was a huge, that was a huge moment. Well, keep in mind that, and they've both said this, Zion has told me this as well, that they, and I'm not saying that this made it any easier for them. This is definitely a coping mechanism that we recognize, but they did check out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they both talked about using music and, you know, Simon had a couple songs that he played in the tub when he'd go to take a bath. Mm-hmm. And I, those songs remind me of cancer because I remember him playing them loudly, but he was just coping. He was just getting through it. He was, you know, a lot of times, um, and they both said the same thing. They felt that they were on the outside looking at themselves. They Mm -hmm. did not feel like they were inside their bodies because it hurt too much to be inside their bodies. And so, you know, I think that, yes, science, right. It being for us, being the one to comfort them and care for them and watch them go through it, took a a toll on us for sure it did you know a lot um (laughs) more I mean I'm saying that cavalier but I don't mean it like that I mean it it was it was a lot and thank you for sharing with me about the two songs that Simon would play all the time for me the songs that I played every single time I would come home and I would take a nice bath and the songs that I would always play was Nora Jones I would put Nora Jones on and just disassociate and just lay there in the bathtub with the candles and, and the music and and just be in my own headspace. I can't listen to Nora Jan- Jones anymore <laughs> because, you know, that sucks because I really like her. But that um, that was a comfort to me. And it just, it touched me in a way that was able to relax me. Yeah. So. Um, I had that too. And um, I have one song that I always listen to. It's, um, the title of the song is called Persistence. But it um, it's a reggae song, of course. But Norris Man, and it's funny because it yeah. kind of sounds the same. But yeah, um, but yeah, I don't I don't really listen to that song anymore. But gave me the strength to you know really feel that we were going to you know be able to be persistent and get through this, and we did. Yeah, but we did, and we did it with the tenacity of Miss Erin Brockovich. So Erin Brockovich. <laughs> If you ever listen to this, hey, girl, and also thanks for the inspiration because I really feel a closeness with Aaron Brockovich, and I'm not saying I'm going to be this movie star and all this stuff's going to go on. Oh, come on. 
You're already uh, doing it. You're yeah, Aaron, well. You're Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, right? well, I don't have a Julia Roberts playing my part, so. But anyways, <laughs> thank you, everybody, for joining us today and letting us talk about our feelings. And I'm so proud of my best friend for um, talking about this because, as I said, this is the first time she's really talked about it with anybody besides me. So you want to tell them what we're going to talk about next week? Um, next week, we are going to dive in to talk about the effect on Simon and science, siblings, and how we handled it, how we didn't handle it. Mm -hmm. In my case, um, there were, I don't want to say neglect, that kind of sends the wrong message, but yeah. there, but definitely, you know, we um, did not focus as much as we needed to on the other kids and it did leave um, some, some things to clean up. So we've, so it does have, it does make a dent in uh, family life altogether. And so we have some really cute moments to share from that. We have some really hard stuff too. So mm -hmm. we'll talk about what siblings um, went through while their uh, brothers, uh, excuse me, their brother and their sister were in the hospital. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited, but not excited to talk about that with you. So we'll get to that next week. Again, I'm Audrey. I'm Lori. And thanks for listening to Why We Do the Work. 